open your Bibles this morning, please, to the Gospel of Luke chapter number 4. Luke chapter number 4. I knew going into this series that I couldn't comment on everything that Jesus said. And I knew it would be difficult trying to figure out exactly what to preach, but I really didn't realize how difficult it was until now. I say that because I wanted to bring a message on the first recorded words of Jesus. That's found in Luke chapter number 2 and verse 49, where he said, How is it that ye sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? And no doubt you remember the, the story well. A lad of 12 years old, amazing the people and in that statement, he was expressing his commitment to God's purpose. He placed that priority above everything else. And uh, I think in that, that we find a good example for each and every one of us because we ought to look at our lives as being in the Father's house and doing the Father's will. That, that's a good way to think about your life. And even as a lad of 12, he had the ability to astonish all those that heard him. And uh, he made it clear that there was never any question about what mattered most to Jesus. What he said, wherever he said it, is more important than anything else ever written or done by man. If we could gather all of the great sermons that have ever been preached, if we could uh, assemble all of the documents and the essays and the articles and the books and everything that has ever been published by man, all of those together could not equal the beauty and the value of what Jesus said. Amen. He's one of a kind. There's nobody else like Jesus. Now, if I was going to look at what Jesus said in a chronological order, naturally I would have to take some other things uh, before today's message. In Luke chapter 4, in verse number 18, I want us this morning to think about what Jesus said concerning the Messiah's ministry. And, and, and again, I want to emphasize this is not going in chronological order. As you'll see tonight, he had something to say to the devil even before this statement was made. But you could say this is the master's mission statement. Notice verse 18. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now let me give you a little bit of background on this because immediately after the baptism of Jesus, he launched his earthly ministry. And the, the, the first thing that is called to our attention is the temptation of Christ we'll talk about tonight, uh, and, and, and there you'll see Jesus did what nobody else has ever done, and that is resist every single temptation from Satan. But after that, he returns to Galilee here in Luke chapter number 4, 
And it tells us in verse 14 and 15 that he taught in the synagogue. And then he goes to Nazareth. And it says this is where he was brought up. So keep in mind that the first recorded sermon took place in the synagogue at Nazareth. And and here he is proclaiming the program for his ministry. Or as I said, he's giving us the master's mission statement. Now, this was sort of like a homecoming to all of the Jewish people at this time. And certainly, whenever you think about the Lord going back to the city wherein he was raised, he is there on the Sabbath day, and the synagogue is filled with worshipers. There are friends, there are relatives, and there are others. And in those days, the custom was that there would be seven readers, each reading a portion of the Scriptures, the first was assigned to the to the priest, the second portion to a Levite, and then the other five portions were assigned to members of the synagogue. It's interesting to me to note here that the Lord was given the book of Isaiah to read from, and so he is reading from the first part of the second verse, of Isaiah chapter number 61. I, I look at that and I think that's nothing short of divine providence that at that very moment that they, as they hand him the Old Testament portion to read for that day, it has to do with his mission statement. That is his reason for being here in the world. It not only spoke of him, it describes what he came to do. And can you imagine as he is standing there and reading that to the congregation on that day? So this morning, let's consider the Messiah's ministry. And the first thing, notice he says the very first thing, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. There we see his might. In other words, man's needs are far beyond man's abilities. And sometimes we forget about that. And we Baptists, I think, are really good at forgetting about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's a bad thing, by the way. But so many times we just sort of put him in a corner somewhere and we forget all about him when in reality everything depends upon what he can do. It's not what I do or Brother Kenneth does. It's not what the choir does. In spite of our very best efforts, they would all be in vain unless the Spirit of God does his work. Jesus at the very beginning of this is making it clear that the Holy Spirit played a part in everything related to his life, to his ministry. And you look back and you think of the virgin birth and that holy thing that was conceived was what? Uh, of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says. We see that in his life. We see it in his miracles. We see it in his resurrection and everything in between Luke 4 and verse 1 describes him as being full of the Holy Ghost. And there was never a moment when he wasn't. The point is this. He came to do what God alone could do. There was no man that could accomplish his mission. No man that could bring about what he planned to do. He does everything in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now look at the mission itself. 
Notice that he speaks to those that are bankrupt. He says, he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He's talking about those that, that are in a, a state of poverty, those that are destitute, those that are in great need. And, and, of course, the word gospel is the good news. He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And then notice he speaks about those that are broken. It says, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He speaks about those that are in bonds. He says that he came to preach deliverance to the captive. And then notice he speaks to those that are blind and the recovering of sight to the blind. Then he speaks about those that are bruised to set at liberty uh, them that are bruised. And then he speaks about those that are blessed to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So that is his mission. Now, I want you to understand in that very last phrase that so many times gets overlooked is actually the key to understanding everything else that he has just said. This speaks about the 50th year, that is the year of Jubilee. It's described over in Leviticus in chapter number 25, and that brings us to the message itself. The mission is what? Well, he has a mission to those that are bankrupt and broken and those in bonds, those that are blind, those that are bruised, those that are blessed. He came to meet their needs, whatever the particular need might be. He came to meet those needs. But notice in verse 19 and down through verse 21, he says to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And now notice he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down in the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now, this is the message itself. The ministry, the mission is one thing, and he has enumerated those things that he came to do. But all of those things together has a message for mankind. This puts everything in perspective. He is quoting from Isaiah chapter number 61 that relates to the year of the Jubilee and the coming of Christ is that which fulfills his mission both literally and spiritually. Sometimes we sing about uh, this is the year of Jubilee. Brother Nolan sings about that. And sometimes, often, uh, our musicians will play uh, Heaven's Jubilee. And I, I, I've told them over and over, play Heaven's Jubilee. I mean, it's got a good message and it's upbeat. It's exciting to think about that. But I often wonder if, you know, how many people really understand what the Jubilee was all about. I'm afraid a lot of times we sing songs and we have no idea what we're singing about. But it was important to the Jews, and they understood exactly what he meant whenever he said, I came to declare what? The acceptable year of the Lord. This is the year of Jubilee. In, in a cycle of seven years, and after this cycle, seven years, 49, seven sevens, 49, the 50th year was declared a year of Jubilee. That portrayed what was Jesus was going to do when he came. And there was this grand celebration, as you might imagine, as all of the Jews would celebrate. 
And these are the things that he mentions here. And it was exactly what happened during that time that they were, number one, released from their debts. Think about that. And the year of Jubilee comes, and, you know, if you owe Monkey Warden, Sears, and Roebuck a bunch of money, it's just canceled. You're out of debt. So every 50 years, a family escapes their indebtedness. They've got a brand new start. In addition to that, all of the captives, all of the slaves were released. In addition to that, all of the property was returned because a lot of times somebody would become so indebted that they would literally lose their property. And at the year of Jubilee, that property reverted back to the original owner. Not only that, but labor ceased. Nobody worked during the 50th year. How about that? You know, the year of Jubilee has come, so nobody works. You didn't go out and work the land. You didn't have to worry about that. The land itself was required to rest. There's no planting crops or anything. That means that the people had to learn to depend upon God. And what Jesus is saying here is what Isaiah described as prophecy And now it's being fulfilled as history. Are you with me? Isaiah is speaking prophecy. Jesus is speaking history. He wants them to know, I am that jubilee that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Now, And it was initiated with the trumpet call. Jesus is the trumpet call, and that's what he's saying here. I have come to initiate... The Jubilee. Now, think about what that means spiritually. By the way, whenever you think about the Lord's ministry and you read on through Luke and especially in John, and you'll discover that Jesus literally performed various miracles that literally fulfilled all of these things He said that He came to do. So in a literal sense, He did all of those things. That ought to get your attention. Unstop the ears of the deaf and give sight to the blind and amen, you know, calm the raging sea and even raise the dead. I mean, he did all of those things literally. But none of those things would ever meet the spiritual needs of man. So there's a spiritual application to be made here. And you look back at the year of Jubilee and the first thing that comes to your attention, it was a time of release. All of the slaves... All of the captives were released. So many times I mentioned the fact that Paul said to Timothy that those that are unsaved are taken captive of the devil at his will. And if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, whether you realize it or not, you are living in captivity. You are in bondage to Satan, taken captive by him at his will. Now you think back to the year of Jubilee and what it must have been like. Here is someone that maybe for all of these years has been in bondage. They're in slavery. Every day, whenever they get up, they have to do precisely what their master tells them to do. They have no will of their own. They're obligated entirely to follow the will of their master. The year of Jubilee comes and they're set free. Imagine, finally, at long last, being free. Let me tell you something. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like 
to come to know Jesus, my jubilee, who set me free from the bonds of sin. The things I couldn't break away from, the things I couldn't escape, those things that I couldn't conquer in my life. When I discovered Jesus is the jubilee, I discovered that Jesus is the one that came to provide freedom for me. And and He released me from that bondage. He does the same thing for every child of God. If you sin, it's because you want to. It's not because you have to. Because He has set you free. He has delivered you from the bondage of sin. But not only was it a time of release, it was a time of reunion for the families. You talk about a wow moment. Can you imagine what it must have been like? I mean, you just picture in your mind, it might be some man that had been sold into slavery as a result of his indebtedness. It might be that some other circumstances caused this person to be placed into slavery as a result of it. He lives every day separated from his friends, separated from his family. He's not just in bondage, he's deprived of the presence of those that he loves the most. And the year of Jubilee comes. I got to believe that he'd be counting down the days. Amen. Oh, wow. I mean, wow, just one more year to go. And it might, might be, you know, that he marked the days some way on a post. Oh, just six more months to go. And finally, on that special day, He was given his freedom and allowed to be reunited with his family. I can almost picture a family standing out at the road and say, Is that him? Here he comes down the road. And finally, at long last, able again to embrace his loved ones. I'm so thankful that many years ago, Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote a song It says, thanks to Calvary. And that one little part in it says, I'm not the man that I used to be. I'll never forget Doug Oldham singing that song many years ago. And that part said, my little boy run and hid behind the door. He said, you don't have to be afraid. You've got a brand new daddy now. And I want you to know that's exactly what God did in my life. God gave my kids a brand new daddy. He gave my wife a brand new husband. All of a sudden, I become a brand new person. And there was a reuniting, as it were, of a family. And in other words, God puts together all of those things that sin tears apart. That's what the Jubilee was about, a time of release, a time of reunion. But it was a time of restoration of the property. All of the property reverted back to the original owner. That's, that gives them hope for the future. And I'm so glad when the Lord saved me that He began a work of restoration in my life. You say, well, what do you mean by that? I mean, He gave me a brand new nature. I'm not the person I used to be. The day you get saved, you become somebody you've never been before. The old, the old nature is done away with as it were. Oh, I know we're still troubled by the vestiges of the old nature, but you have a brand new nature now. 
as a child of God. And as a result of that, it's the Lord at work reversing what happened at the fall. In other words, He is undoing what the devil did. And that's an ongoing work, by the way, and it will be throughout the length of our lifetime. But I'm so glad to know that regardless of what happens to me, that it is all a part of God's plan at work in my life. According to Romans 8.29, He has predestinated that we be conformed to the image of His dear Son. All of those things that I don't understand, those things I would never choose for myself, All of those things that seem so unfair, that might be so very painful, I know all of that is a part of God's plan as God is working to restore the image of Christ in fallen man. And He wants to do the same thing in your life. It was a time of renewal of the soil. They were not to labor during this one-year period of time. They were to let the soil rest. That means, listen... That means they had to learn to depend upon God. You know, you might kind of, if you didn't have much faith, panic, say, well, look, you can't do that. You've got to plant crops. You've got to store up your goods, you know, for the next year. You've got to be prepared. If we don't plant any crops, what are we going to do? Well, how about just trusting God to work it out some way? And He always did. He never failed. Whenever we receive Christ our Jubilee, there is a renewal in our life. That is, we begin to walk by what? Faith. We no longer walk by sight. It's not a matter of us trying to figure everything out. It's a matter of us trusting God to take care of everything in our life. And it was also a time of rejoicing. I mean, look, this was the only hope that people had. Those that had lived all of their lifetime may be in bondage. No will of their own. No way to break free. No personal possessions whatsoever. We murmur and complain today about this and that and little petty things that don't amount to anything. And you picture yourself being in a situation where you had nothing. You slept where the Master told you to sleep. You did what the Master told you to do. You have no will of your own, no rights of your own. You belong to somebody else. You have to live in the slave market of sin. And finally, one day, Jesus comes. He comes into that slave market and He says, I I want that one. And He pays the price of His precious blood to take you out of the slave market of sin and all of a sudden now you become His property. You see, that's the thing that gives us hope. That's the thing that enables us to rejoice, to knowing that we belong to Him. I'm so glad I can stand here this morning and tell you about the one and the only one that is able to meet every need in your life. You go back over the mission statement and think of all of the things on the list. Those that are bankrupt, That's no problem with the Lord whatsoever. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. Those that are bankrupt, whether you're talking about in a literal sense or whether you're talking about being spiritually bankrupt, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the Jubilee is able to meet your need. Then he says those that are brokenhearted. 
You know, sometimes that's just about the worst state a person can be in because you might have plenty of money, but if you're brokenhearted, you can't enjoy it. You might have, you know, plenty of friends and people that care about you. It might be you have good health and all of those other things going your way. But if you're brokenhearted, there's no way you can enjoy it. Well, I'm glad that Jesus, our Jubilee, is the healer of broken hearts. He's the one that gives us joy unspeakable and full of glory and a peace that passeth all understanding. He came to heal those that are brokenhearted, those that are bankrupt, those that are bound, those that are blind, those that are bruised. Now notice in all of this, His mercy. We see what His mission is, right? He tells us. We don't have to guess about that. We know what his mission is. He says, I came to do these things, things that he did literally and things that he's willing to do spiritually in your life. And we know what the message of all of that is. The message is what Isaiah prophesied, what he stated as a prophecy. Jesus says the message is, I am he, I am the one. I am now the one that fulfills what he's been predicting. He's the good news. But notice what he says in verse number 20. And he closed the book. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And all the eyes of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now what I want you to notice is, is that Jesus stopped short of quoting the last part of Isaiah's prophecy. He, he just stopped reading. He did not finish that section. Notice what he said. I came to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, but that's not all there was. Let me give you the rest of the story. Not only to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, but Isaiah said, and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus left that out. Why? Why would he leave that out? Why would he stop short? Why would he ignore that section of Scripture? Because he came to seek and to save that which was lost. You'll remember he said himself, I didn't come to judge the world. Now make no mistake about it, he will judge the world. All of us are accountable to Him and there is coming a day when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that He is the Lord of Lords. He will judge the world. But that was not the purpose in His coming. That's why He doesn't go on and say here, and the day of vengeance of our God. Rather, He said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Notice we're living in the comma between that and where he says the acceptable year of the Lord. Notice there's a comma. The day of vengeance of our God. There's a comma there. And that's why I said this is what I want you to see is his mercy. This is God's mercy. You're living in that comma. It's only by the grace of God that you have this opportunity. Amen. Only by the grace of God that you have another opportunity to receive Jesus, your jubilee, 
The one that can set you free. The one that can deliver you from bondage. The one that can meet your spiritual indebtedness. The one that can reunite you with your loved ones. The one that can meet all of your needs. You have another opportunity because of the mercy of God. None of us deserve that. If we got what we deserve, every single one of us would be in hell right now. Don't ever forget that little comma right there because that is exactly where you're living and He has given you this opportunity. Now, as I was sitting and reading this this week, I thought to myself, remember we're talking about what Jesus said. And I thought to myself, what if Jesus came to our church to preach? We're going to have a guest preacher here in a, is it next week or the week after when Will's coming? Sometime. We're going to have a guest preacher. That's always exciting to me. I, I love to have other preachers come in and tell us about what God's doing in those places. But just imagine if I could, you know, honestly say, look, we're going to have a guest speaker next week. I, I, I've not been telling you about this, but... But I, I just can't hold it in any longer. Jesus is going to come and preach. Man, I mean, the building ought to be full that day. Amen. Jesus is going to come and preach. I mean, whatever he preaches, you know that it's going to be good and you know that it's going to be true. But if Jesus came to Lakeway and preached, I, I just got to wonder, how would you respond? How would you respond? Now, some of them were astonished. You read on and, man, they are astonished. They've never heard anyone like this fellow. And I look at that and I think to myself, man, basically all he did was to quote a verse, uh, a verse and a half from the Old Testament. That's all he did. That's a pretty short message. But they're astonished. They are amazed. Well, I would certainly hope that if Jesus preached, we would all respond to it appropriately. That we would submit ourselves entirely. That we would forget about all of the silly excuses of trying to hold back and, you know, and trying to, to give less than what we ought to give in regards to our service to God and that we would fall at His feet and commit ourselves as he did, like a 12-year-old lad, to do the Father's will. But the amazing thing is you read on and you discover that some of them tried to cast him off of a cliff. That's what it says. They want to get rid of him. Boy, if ever there was a picture of sinful human nature, that's it. Because here we see that these people did not really care about the truth. They did not even really care about their greatest need. Sometimes we've got the idea that all people care about is their needs. That's all they care about. No, no, you've got it wrong. That's not what they care most about. If they cared about their needs, they'd come to Jesus. You know what they really care about? They really care about doing what they want to do. They want to be in control. They want to be in charge. That's why Isaiah 
As he identified the problem with mankind, says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to what? His own way. Your next door neighbor, your co-worker, your friend that admittedly is not a Christian, if you think all they care about is their needs, you are mistaken. That's not their greatest concern. Their greatest concern is just to do what they want to do and be left alone by everybody else. And a lot of people are willing to do almost anything in order to do that. And no doubt they're thinking, we got to get rid of this fella. Well, I mean, you'd think they would welcome him with open arms. If you're going to do all of this, I mean, praise the Lord. Jubilee is here. Let's celebrate. And instead of that, they said, let's throw him off the cliff. We've got to get rid of him. Keep in mind, these are the same people, by the way, the same religious crowd that said, we'll not have this man to reign over us. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Crucify him. And we look back on that astonished that someone could be so cruel as to do what they did when they crucified Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, you've heard the gospel but you rejected it, let me tell you, you're not doing one bit better than they did. You're trampling underfoot the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for you. Let me remind you of what He came to do. He came to set you free from the bondage of sin, to open your blind eyes, to remove your spiritual indebtedness, restore you to your family and give you peace and joy and all of those things that you desperately need. How then could you trample underfoot the blood that he shed and reject him. I've got an announcement to make before we leave. And this is it. The jubilee has come. Amen. The jubilee has come. Jesus, the jubilee. He said, I came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I'm here. I'm here. That's what he was saying. And I want you to know he's here this morning and it is his mercy that gave you another opportunity. God could have given you just one. That one opportunity you had, what? What's it been now? Ten years ago? Twenty years ago? Maybe grandma or grandpa told you about Jesus and you turned to deaf ear. Maybe mom or dad tried to encourage you or a Sunday school teacher told you about Jesus. You had an opportunity and you rejected it. And all of these years have gone by and you've gone on living in sin. And now in His mercy, God said, I'm going to give you another chance. I want you to know the Jubilee has come. I'm here to meet your need. And He's the only one that can. Will you receive Him this morning? Let's all stand together. Father, how we thank You for Your loving kindness. We thank You, Lord, for Your mercy. It gives us the opportunity to know Jesus in the free pardon of sin. And Heavenly Father, I pray today that You'll enable us to blot out 
absolutely everything else that is in our mind and we'll just think about the purpose of Jesus Christ coming into this world that he might suffer and bleed and die on the cross to pay our sin debt, to be our jubilee, that we might be set free. God, today I pray for every unsaved person in this service that the Holy Spirit will open their blind eyes and help them to see their true condition. And that even this morning they might come to Jesus and receive Him as their Lord and Savior. For we beg it in His precious name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing this morning, it might be that you've already experienced salvation and you just want to come and thank the Lord for the jubilee in your life. I have decided